Hey, this is Zach. And I'm Clint, and we wanted to thank ExoTerra for sponsoring this episode of Colubrid and Colubroid Radio. ExoTerra is the industry leader in glass terrarium enclosures, and we are a big fan of getting to see the species we work with both at home and at the university. We utilize ExoTerra caging here at Metazotics, and in addition to top quality terrariums, ExoTerra offers an array of heating options, lighting, supplements, decor, and truthfully anything needed or wanted when keeping reptiles. Thank you, ExoTerra, for supporting Colubrid and Colubrid. Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of Colubrid and Colubroid Radio. Uh, Zach here, as always, with my good friend Clint. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, my man. How are you doing? I am doing well. I will fully admit that I'm a little tired and very curious to see how this episode goes. Uh, My birthday (laughs) was Friday, and then I promptly got sick Friday night, and I've been sick. I I was sick over the weekend. Woke up Monday morning and was like, yeah, everything's cool. It's Tuesday evening, and uh, I'm real freaking loopy. So we shall see what comes out of my mouth in the next 90 minutes. <laughs> so, I feel you, buddy. It's, I hope you had a good birthday before you got deathly sick. Yeah, I uh, did. Thank you. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, for those who don't know, we're recording this on February 13th, the day before Valentine's Day, and I'm thinking, ooh, I need to stop on the way home and get something. Mm-hmm. I haven't got anything yet. I may have fired out of West Liberty in the middle part of the day and covered that. <laughs> um, so, anywho. But yeah, no. Uh, tonight's episode is going to be pretty different. Uh, Matt and I did this a couple times, and I think Clint and I may have done it once before, but I know this is the first time we've truly planned it. It's just us. So uh, we're going to be throwing questions at each other and just seeing where the conversation takes us with all things Colubrid and Colubroid. Um, with that being said, I guess we'll just jump into our updates and then we'll do our, our market science bit and then on to the main part of the show. So that, that work. Yeah, it works for me. All right. Uh, I have a, a couple updates. Um, obviously it's, we're, we're talking about Valentine's day tomorrow and Thanksgiving to Valentine's day is kind of the classic brumation window. If you're a Colubri keeper, especially if you keep the temperate species, um, I got my animals down late, uh, and conveniently, I am gone all next week, so there's no way they're coming out <laughs> this weekend. Um, but, um, yeah, we're definitely getting to the point where I was checking up on things. I checked the freezer and made sure I've got enough rodents. I'm going to be segueing my animals at home over to chicks as well as mice, so I'm going to be putting in a big order for um, male chicks here shortly. Uh, but... Other than that, I have a couple new additions. Um, actually, four new additions coming tomorrow. I, you know, if I'm writing the book on heterodon, I thought it was really important that I have them all. Um, I've have Mexicans. I have uh, the the westerns or plains, whatever you want to call them, Nasicus. Um, I picked up platy rhinos a while ago, and I finally pulled the trigger on two pairs of thymus which are the southern hognose snakes um those were real expensive a year or two (laughs) ago and now they're just expensive (laughs) 
that's that's how I would define that. But um, I thought, don't be a poser. Uh, I like the the fringe species around the westerns and plains just as much as the plains. So um, I'm picking those up from a wonderful hognose breeder, uh, Kevin Fisher, who's in Colorado, who's one of the few people that produces those every year. Um, and so those will be arriving tomorrow. Hopefully knock on some wood. Uh, but other than that, it's just soldiering on, uh, with, with, with the collection here. Um, I guess I do have one other admission. Uh, when, when we do, when you do reptile podcasts, I, I, the pod father and Owen on NPR talk about this, especially Owen all the time about how you, you, you interview somebody, they're super geeked about a species. And then you start like thinking, you know, I really need that. I don't have that. <laughs> and I've been able to fight that urge all the way up through, I think we're episode 48, 49. We're, we're approaching the big five O, but John Michaels, we had him on with dry Markin. Yes. You know, I sit here with Easterns in my office. I've got blacktail Kribos. We bred yellowtail Kribos. And um, he started talking about the Texans. And nobody talks about Texans. Everybody talks about Mexicans and Rubidists and and but the Texans have always just kind of, I don't. Maybe it's the fact that people don't normally d- talk about them the way they talk about the others. That that usually creates a box I need to check. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was like the day after we did that episode, I started talking to him, and now there is a pair of Texan Tex, Texas Indigos at my house. Um, so John Michaels gets the the, the claim to fame of being the first guest we had that resulted in me having to get what we talked about. So there you go. So those That's, are new additions. I feel you there, man. That was one mm-hmm. where, cause uh, you know, if you recall on that episode, I was, uh, I mentioned go to the website cause I'm scrolling mm-hmm. the website yeah. as he's talking and I'm like, man, cause it's something I've never really, you know, messed with having experienced. And I'm like, I, I really mm-hmm. like these. But I keep telling myself I can't take on a new species project until <laughs> I wrap up some of these damn projects I have yep. on the shop. You know, because mm-hmm. if it's a new species, I need to be able to pay more attention to it. I need to be able to watch these behaviors and learn it. And right now, I'm not the one taking care of the animals, you know, yep. to the degree. So it's like I, I just can't. I just can't take anything on like that yet. Yeah. Well, well, these were. It's funny you bring that up because these were not work acquisitions. These were Zach acquisitions. So they. You know, they went to the house. So, um, uh, and they're just like, you know, they act like the other dry marking, uh, but slightly different, you know, color pattern and, and their ecology is pretty interesting. And, uh, the fun thing about the Texas indigos is just a little aside on them. They were state listed in Texas for quite some time, but there are species that once their habitat kind of rebounded a little bit, uh, they, rebounded a little bit too and they were actually delisted from texas so now they're they're no longer afforded state protection they don't receive any federal protection um i am not advocating everybody get you know in a car drive to texas and catch yourself a texas indigo they're best left in the wild we've got our captive stock la di da exactly but unlike the easterns you know you can't just go on a collecting trip or a herping trip to go find an eastern you touch that you're in trouble but you can totally go down to where the texan Texas indigos are and go on a herping trip, see them in the wild. And it's, you know, as long as you have the permits and everything, it's totally fine. And that's something that I have every intention on doing because uh, there's a guy who works for Texas fish and wildlife who really wants my lab and I to come to Texas 
and do crayfish work. And so, you know, you just kind of like put all that together and John sold it really well. So if you're listening to this, John, you did a good job. (laughs) (laughs) So Anyway. And then the other thing I think we got to talk about as far as updates are concerned is the end of the last episode when yet another technological glitch (laughs) denied me my freaking moment (laughs) when Craig brought up my soapbox that I like literally live and breathe with bringing academia and private sector and everything together. It just like organically happened. And I'm yeah. just in this little freaking technological jail cell over here. Watch you over here flailing yeah. your arms. I was literally like- flailing. <laughs> no, I couldn't hold still. So if you're wondering if that made me upset, it did. Um, <laughs> what had happened is the mic, I bumped my desk and the USB cable for this mic came out of the computer. And so I just plugged it back in. When I plugged it back in, um, it the 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 platform we use freaked out because there wasn't a mic, and so it switched the mic over to my headphones, which are not connected to my mic. And then for me to fix that, once we start recording, we I have to leave. But then, as you know, I can't leave because I'm the guy that records the damn thing, and I'm <laughs> sure I can leave, but we're like barely. Uh, able to get this thing to work. I mean, to be brutally honest, if you're listening, it took us 15 minutes to get started. And I found out that I just had the volume on zero. Like that's what we're dealing with here. <laughs> so I was just like, I'll sit in my personal hell and not get to talk to Craig. <laughs> and then, you know, my favorite thing to discuss came up and I couldn't talk about it. So anyway, I'm, 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 I'm it's two weeks later. I think I stopped crying yesterday. <laughs> so. It's, as soon as he said it, I, I was like, I looked down because I'm like, yeah. oh, I, I know he's just itching to jump in on this mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was great anyway. that he brought it up. I mean, that was an mm-hmm. excellent interview, um, you know, getting to hear some of the stories and whatnot. It was. Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. And, you know, I think he he really did. It's, it's what we talk about on here all the time. You know, and, and what yeah. you just said is such a passion of yours is bridging, you know, academia with the private sector. And I mean, he, he brought it in and just completely looped it in for us. So, yep. It was it was good stuff. So anyway. But those are my updates. So what are your updates? Oh, well, I am right in the middle of uh, show after show after show right now. Seen that? Um, yeah, it's I think three weeks in a row. Then I get a weekend off, and then there's two or three more in a row. Um, and it's so far things are kind of moving in in a very positive direction. Um, I've expanded what I've taken to shows. To, to try to cater to a little bit of uh, you know a broader market and and that's it's gone well you know we had our first show um, this past weekend that was here in my hometown in Evansville and it was it went fantastic I mean great uh, I was Glad very very that. happy um, and it, it's it's always good because it's like I'm at the show busy but then the shop gets super busy too because mm-hmm. so many people leave the show to come to the shop so it's you know, those are good weekends, you know, really good weekends, <laughs> very busy weekends, you know, at the same time. Um, we have lifted the colubrids out of, uh, out of brumation at this point, um, to a degree. Basically what I've done is I've stopped pumping in cold air. I've started running the, you know, furnace in there, but I've not turned on any supplemental heat yet. So they're kind of gotcha. in that one week lift. And then, uh, probably Thursday or Friday of this week, I'll go in there and start bumping up some hot spots and uh, then we'll start resuming feeding on Monday. 
So, so that's getting in. I'm, I'm still behind because I, every season I go in and kind of redo the list of breeders because you always have a bunch of new breeders that have now, they were holdbacks or, or whatnot that have grown to age, or there's some that are iffy that I have to decide, are they going to breed this year? Or are they not? And then inevitably, I think this abrumation, uh, we lost one animal. One one oh. animal perished during remation, which you know when you're dealing with three four hundred animals going down, usually there's a, a couple that don't make it through a few. So one, I was like, okay, that's that's that's, that's a really bad. good you know yeah, it's a good remation. Um, but anyways, I you know I take off anything that's not with us anymore, um, and then I map out what the breeding um, breeding projects are going to look like and. I'm like, I should have had this done a couple of weeks ago. And we planned on doing it today. I, I was shorthanded uh, here at the shop, so I didn't get to get back there. I say that, but I still would have been able to get back there and do it. I forgot my damn laptop at home, so that's that stopped us, too. It's as much my fault as anybody else's. Um, but that's a, that's a project that we will get knocked out early next week because there's some things that I want to put together immediately. Like I put together as soon as they come up. And and just kind of mm-hmm. let them ride it out, and that's why I need to get that. But um, other than that, I, I think you and I talked uh, a little bit last week, and one of the things that I hate this part of the uh, of the hobby and doing what we do, but breeding rodents, <laughs> it, it putting yeah. together rat racks and mice racks, and just ah, uh, that's what I was working on, and I'm old, and my back <laughs> is killing me from it, and. Um, but, Mm -hmm. uh, but we absolutely have to do that because we're getting to the point where, I mean, even with having, um, rodents supplemented in, we can't keep Uh, up, we can't keep up with customers, can't keep up with, uh, when it comes to live, you know, getting frozen in, I can get tons of those, but, uh, with live it's, yeah, we're so far uh, behind now. So, um, but other than that, I mean, things are going very, very well. Um, it's, it's always, we're getting ready for the you know the, the storm that we know is coming right. when it comes to mm-hmm. to breeding season and all that. So it's kind of crazy going in the nursery and seeing so many tubs without a card with it because you know everybody has their index card that that goes there. Yeah. So seeing so many empty tubs and thinking, <laughs> <that's, laughs> yeah, it's not going to stay like that. Nope. You know? mm-hmm. So enjoy it while you can, Drew. It's Mm -hmm. coming, buddy. (laughs) It's coming. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Um, This year, for zoo science, uh, we we normally have like one or two students that stick around for the summer, and they're essentially our zookeepers. Um, It's good training for them. But since we mostly have reptiles, they get trained in what it is to do reptile work, minus Mm -hmm. reptiles. Minus venomous, obviously, because we're not doing that here. Uh, but the last couple years, you know, we don't produce anything near what you're producing, but we'll produce 100 to 150 baby snakes every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we this is the first year where I we were having a staff meeting. And it's funny because I get excited about the baby snakes. The rest of the staff's like baby snakes like it's like, <laughs> like we're gonna do this to ourselves again so this is the first year we're going to have a drew so we're gonna have a dedicated um undergrad who's gonna be here for the summer uh and they're basically gonna be our baby snake person they're gonna be in charge of the eggs they're gonna be in charge of the um 
record keeping. They're going to be in charge of the feeding. And I have a handful of students here that are herp nuts that, you know, if, if, if you had offered this to me when I was 19, 20, I would have been like, you serious? Like, that's what you want me to do for the summer? So we'll see if if at the end of the summer I get the same response that I normally get from the staff when it comes to baby snakes. Um yeah. By having someone that's just there. Because we're also doing data because we don't just make the snakes to make the snakes. Mm-hmm. Every time we make a baby snake, it's oh, it's always associated with some kind of project. Um, and, and so we have to get uh, data on king snakes. And then most of the baby snakes, if you're listening, go straight to Clint. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. So, um, so Drew gets those too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're welcome, Drew. Uh, so, um, uh, there will be a giant influx of king snakes at some point to Clint's facility. So, if you want a West Liberty University king snake via Clint, um, that is well within your uh, future. Uh, so, anywho, but, but yeah, I love it. You know, and I want to say, you know, talking about, uh, you know, the individuals not uh, not as thrilled as you are when <laughs> there's baby snakes. That's one thing about Drew. I want to tell you, I absolutely love mm-hmm. that kid. Loves having as many snakes back there as he can. He can because every time yeah. I'm moving some out, then I'm like, okay, well, these have, you know, we're even move them to the floor, or they can be moved back. They've grown big enough. They're holdbacks. We can move them out of here. And he's, you just keep taking them from me. <laughs> he, he likes having mm-hmm. them back there and uh congratulations drew by the way turned 18 last week and wow. uh his his uh folks let him get his first snake so he got to take his first snake home um and uh excited for him and, and excited to oh, keep watching him do what he does so nice um good stuff okay so i guess that's our updates anything else on your end no, no that should be good for me okay then um we can move on to the market and the science piece. Do you want to go first or second this time? Yeah, I'll jump on the market. All right, cool. All right. So um, I've got some data that I'll share in just a little bit. But first, I'll just give kind of some personal thoughts and experience, I guess. Um, as I said, you know, we're, I'm in the middle of several shows um, as well as obviously day in and day out here at the shop. And I uh, I will tell you that, yes, as of today, um, last weekend, and really I saw it starting the weekend before, uh, but taxes are starting to flow through. Um, this last show here in Evansville, it, um, I mean, we, we did fantastic. Um, there was a, a lot of people coming through and, and grabbing kind of a mix of things, really. Um, and, you know, it's going through here at the shop as well. And what I mean is we're not just seeing movement on one end. I'm seeing a variety of, of items that are going. I mean, we're talking chameleons, Accumonitor, um, lots of colubrids, not so much on the ball pythons, you know, here and there. Uh, but to be fair, I don't have a ton of ball pythons at this point either. Um, but we, we certainly are seeing a lot. We're seeing more and more habitats going out the door, which that always makes me happy because I love when I'm seeing individuals upgrading, you know, when it comes to caging, but, uh, it, it is here. It's, uh, Oh, we, we just lost Zach. So I'm not sure if we're still recording. I believe we are. So I'm going to continue talking and hopefully he will pop back on and we'll be good. Um, okay. So another thing I, I want to kind of point out, uh, online sales, obviously have Definitely been moving. Um, we are shipping a lot of animals out. And, okay, Zach is back. <laughs> so hopefully everything's still good. Um, you're muted, though. So, 
All right. Um, we're still recording. Still recording, so we're good. Sorry. All right. <laughs> we'll get this right one day. All right. So uh, as I say, online sales are moving, and I think that with weather starting to lift just a little bit in a lot of the country, uh, that's encouraging people to go ahead and, and make some more online purchases because they won't have to wait as long for shipping. Although there's still several areas in the country that it's going to be a bit before there's there's a safe window. Um, so if you are buying, please be patient with anyone that you're purchasing from, uh, because I promise you, if they're wanting to hold off until they they feel comfortable shipping, it's it's in your best interest. Uh, just just let it ride, let it roll. Um, okay, so now some data. Um, and what's going to be interesting about this isn't so much just the numbers I'm about to read today. It's going to be interesting as time goes on because we're going to be able to see trends and see when things fluctuate and how some of this really plays out. So um, until I start getting some more data from Darian, and as a reminder to everyone, bug him. Bug him about getting me these reports. Bug him about sponsoring CCR. Uh, feel free to comment on a post. If you follow Darian on Facebook, you know that there's no shortages. Uh, there's not a shortage of posts from him to comment on. So mess with him about sponsoring CCR. All right, that's my uh, shameless plug for us right there. Okay, so what I'm going to do uh, in terms of global market here, I guess, or national market, um, I'm going to rattle off some numbers, and they're going to be similar to numbers that I, I mentioned before based off Morph Market. Um, and I'm going to do this now every episode and I'm saving them so we can see the pattern. We can see the trend and the changes. Um, for example, on January 18th, there were 45,118 ball pythons listed on Morph Market. That, that made up 75.8% of all snakes that were listed. Today, 43,102. Still 75%, 75.3%. And it's a 4% change. So we've had 4% less listed today than there was the 18th. And I'm actually not surprised on that. Um, and I would venture to say a, a good chunk of that 2000 was actual sales. And because now keep in mind, you've got more snakes being added and snakes being sold as well as some people's ads just expiring and, and going down. So there's a mix in there, but I know that the ball python market has really been utilizing the auctions. So not surprised to see that we have fewer listed today uh, than a month ago, you know, for that very reason. So a 4% change in that market. Uh, all other pythons went from 200, I'm sorry, 2,522 down to 2,392, a 5% change in that market. Uh, BOAs. 5,621 to 5,428, so a 3% change. And colubrids, uh, and this one, it, it, this is the one that kind of bucked the system here, went from 6,251 to 6,337. And so you actually saw a 1% increase in the number of colubrids that are listed for sale on Morph Market compared to, to last month. That one, I don't have a theory on. I mean, that could pretty much be considered flat, to be honest. You know, 1% change isn't much. But I did find it interesting that we saw a little bit of an uptick there 
when we saw a downtick in all the others. Uh, but I will also I will kind of reinforce the statement that I made last time that you don't see a lot of colubrid auctions. You're seeing them in you know some of the other categories, and, and maybe that's it. Uh, but all in, there are 4% less snakes listed on Morph Market today than there was a month ago. Now, typically, that would be a good sign. That would be a sign of you know a lot of things selling. Um, and more than likely right now, that is the case. But I guess I do want to point out that expect that number to not always be negative. We're going to see that number grow whenever we start seeing hatching, you know, hatching season coming in. So don't take a, a positive number there. So, you know, we have 10% listed more, you know, more listed this week than a couple weeks ago because there are going to be ebbs and flows with whenever we experience the hatching season of colubrids, hatching season for ball pythons, et cetera. Uh, let's get a little bit more detailed here into the, the nuts and bolts of what we enjoy, and, and that's the colubrids. So um, I just want to, I guess, show kind of the, the two mainstays in the colubrid group. And, and I may break this down more a little further as we go. But out of all the colubrids listed, so 6,337, 1,784 of those are corn snakes. So 28.2% of all the, the colubrids listed are corn snakes. This one I didn't mention last time, but I knew I should have. And so I made sure to this time. 2,156 of the colubrids. So 34% of all colubrids that are listed are hognose. Hognose. Um, so if you uh, if you kind of take out corn snakes and hognose, that only leaves 37. So let's just go ahead and round it. 38% of all the colubrids listed are not corn snakes or hognose. <laughs> you know, uh, and I find that very interesting. And I think that obviously the reason that those two are going to take up so much of that market is because of the vast number of color mutations that you have out yep. there. Um, so it's one where you know I'm not going to tell anyone to be deterred from stepping into either one of those markets. Um, don't think, oh man, look, there's so many hognose listed. Why would I want hognose? There's a reason there's so many, just like there's a reason there's so many ball pythons. There is a massive market out there for it. Um, and I think that as more, you know, these morphs continue to come out. There's still so many combinations to be produced. There's still a lot uh, to go there. And that's, that's why there's so many of them, you know, out right now. <clears throat> And just to kind of break that down for you, just slightly more, um, all in corn snakes make up 3.1% of all the snakes that are listed on morph market total. Um, hognose are 3.8%. So even though they're 34% of the colubrids, they're only 3.8% of all the snakes, you know, that are listed, yeah. um, which leaves 4.2% of, uh, uh, all the snakes listed on morph market are colubrid that are not a corn snake or hognose. And I find that interesting. Uh, that right there is, is kind of for me, what I would consider Metazotics's bread and butter and, and what I would be looking at. The fact that it, it, when you think of all the species that are lumped into that category, for it to only be 4.2% of all the snakes sold, that leaves a lot, a lot of room to really, you know, bring so much of this, you know, into the forefront and into the hobby. So, cause that's including king snakes, milk snakes, rat snakes, all of it is lumped into yep. that 4.2. So, 
All right. Um, as I said, you know, these are some numbers for me to shout out right now. Uh, over time, I think it's going to be interesting to, to be able to um, really see what trends we have. And eventually I'll put these to graphs. You know, once we have some, you know, data over uh, several months and we'll post those on the Facebook page so people can kind of see some of these trends as well. So that's what I got. Interesting stuff, man. Thanks, buddy. So we are having an episode on questions and I'm going to buck the norm right now. Okay, bring it on. I'm hitting you with a question. Uh, I I grabbed my almonds. I guess I'll wait to chew. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it, it, It seems very popular in herpetologic herpetocultural circles right now there's like these people that are 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 basically like circling the carcass saying that it's the end of days herpetoculture is coming to an end you know they seem to focus primarily on the ball python market mm-hmm. um do you i mean you're living breathing this stuff uh do you think herpetoculture is coming to an end? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's okay. So I'll say a couple things on it. One, so much of quote unquote, I'm holding, I'm doing, you know, rabbit ears up here, guys, of the market is the ball python market. Okay. And everyone feels that if the ball python market's great, the market's great. If the ball python market's not, the market's not great. And that's not fair. That's. Put it this way, if you're a working class individual, is the economy doing well based on the stock market for you, or is it how much the eggs cost when you go to buy them? You know what I mean? It's saying that, oh, well, stocks are doing fantastic, so the economy's great. Well, if you don't own stock, your economy's not great. You know, it, it doesn't matter to you. And so, and I just say that because it's, there's a vast number of people that the, that market is not what this, um, is really what's deciding it. But even before I talk about all of us that are, are not so heavy on balls, the ball Python market is not crashing. It's going through its natural cycles. This yeah. happens. Now it may be feeling a little bit of a heavier dip because the, every industry is having a dip of some sort post COVID. We had a post-COVID high. Now we're having a course correction. It's a balance is all it is. It's not a crash. It's not bottoming out. There's still people buying ball pythons all the time. They just not be buying, not buying them for the same dollar amount that they were a year ago. You know, so they're still there. And as we discussed before, there's a surplus of them. So I'm not even telling people to avoid buying ball pythons. Just don't think it's going to be the quote unquote investment. That you, you may have thought it would have been three or four years ago. But that's that's it. it. It's always that. Meaning it's always a investment mentality when people are mm-hmm. buying a lot of these animals. And sometimes it can be. A lot of times it's it's not going to be nearly as lucrative as what you know we were led to believe. Um, so – one, no, it's not crashing. The ball pythons are not going to become cobra food, you know, all over yep. the world. That's not happening. It's still going to be there. Um, and it's, I will tell you, from what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing, it's far from, from failing. There, If you are going to sit back and, and just hope people come to buy your animals – then, then yeah, you're probably not going to do well. If you're at a show and you're sitting down instead of standing up and engaging, you're probably not going to do as well. 
Um, you know, I, I will share this and, and I hope that no one feels that it, it it's inappropriate. I, it, it's, I'm going to do it simply because it's to, to make a point, I guess. Now we are still a very young company. There, yep. There's no doubt about that. And if you are a young company that is moving in the positive direction, then your first few years, you should see substantial comp numbers. And for those who are not, you know, uh, who don't know that term, comp stands for comparable, I'm sorry, comparable sales. So just to give a number, if you do $1,000 on a Monday this year, the next year you do $1,100 on that Monday, that's a 10% comp increase. So you did 10% more than you did the year before. Um, And again, when you're, if you're a 20 year company, a 5% comp is great. If you're a three year company, you know, five, you know, it's not stellar because you should expect, you know, more rapid growth. Okay. So when budgeting this year, I budgeted very conservatively because we were all thinking, okay, I knew ball pythons weren't going to be moving as fast or for as much. And that was a chunk of the business last year. So just understanding this. And I budgeted for a 15% comp increase, 15%. And if I was several years in, 15% strong early on, I knew we should be able to do that. It shouldn't be a struggle. But the reason I did that is because by budgeting for a 15% comp sales increase, I then could budget my expenses based off of that sales amount, right? I knew this is where I need to stay to, to put this to the bottom line by the time it was all said and done. So far this year, now I do not expect this trend to stay completely because we ramped up you know, significantly towards uh, yeah. you know, the second half of last year. But so far, we're over 60% up to comp this year. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very strong. And it's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of animals that are going out the door. And obviously with a shop, it's not just animals. There's a lot of dry goods, a lot of feeder business, you know, obviously, but I know that I'm shipping out packages every Mm -hmm. week, you know, but but if you, if you think about the way you're doing it though, um, you're also building relationships with these people. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're not just sending an email necessarily. Uh, I'm sure there's people that find you on morph market and are like, I want that snake. And then you go, here it is. And they buy it. And that's the extent of the relationship. But I also know you very well by now. And I know that you're Mm -hmm. probably like communicating, building relationships. And when you build that relationship, that family gets their first snake. Now they want another one. Mm -hmm. They're going to go to Clint, but then you're also making sure that they're doing it the right way and not just buying an expendable pet, which Furthers that whole, you know, relationship, which then you might ultimately get a herpetoculturalist out of that and go from a pet keeper to whatever a herpetoculturalist is. And that's a whole other conversation for another day. But I'm just getting really bored with this (laughs) gloom and doom BS. Like, I'm just like, you know, I don't do market stuff. I'm an ecologist. And I can tell you, mama nature... There's populations boom, resources go away, and then they crash. Resources mm-hmm. come back, and then they boom. Resources go away. Like this is yes, yes. not this is how the universe works. This isn't right. just how this market works. So, mm-hmm. like, for the love of God, can we just stop? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm telling you, I, I am really 
getting bored with the conversation. And then the other thing is coming from this from a biological point of view, I think that there's a massive amount of adapt or die. Like if you are, if you are getting into this and this is going to be your livelihood, you can cry and get on social media and, and, you know, burn everything to the ground and talk about the doomsday scenario or I don't know, maybe hustle a little bit and try to figure out how to get around it, deal with it, adapt with it, and move on. Because if you don't do that, you go extinct. And I think Uh, that there's a lot of people that aren't willing to do that right now, and they are in a panic mode from the world that we came out of, which, surprisingly, if you would have told me that a global pandemic would have have been the best thing ever for herpetoculture, (laughs) I would not have thought that was true. (laughs) But, you know. Apparently, it was something. And all right, let's be real. It wasn't the best thing ever. Uh, it wasn't the best thing for anybody. But it certainly, we saw an uptick. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I only move false water cobras. That's the only snakes that I sell. And, and you know, I'm just simply moving them to get rat money, new cages, mm-hmm. uh, heat panel here or there. I, I, I don't have any desire to make this my living because I am not like you and could not do this. <laughs> so, um, but I can tell you, like, I moving the false water cobras was real easy in 2020, 2021. It was difficult in 2023 until I started trying. But I was just relying on mm-hmm. passive consumption of people being like, Zach Loafman wrote a book. <laughs> He's the guy I should go to. Um, you know, I didn't move that many. As soon as I started posting, I don't have a morph market page and I moved plenty of false water cobras. Um, so uh, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I have a very weird perspective on this and I'm not dogging on anybody that didn't do well. I'm just simply saying it's been 10 months, nine months of this gloom doom scenario. And like, we're still here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, the people that adapted survived and they're going to make it through and it might suck this year, but it should in theory level out. So I don't know. That's just, it's really not phasing me. I I mean, if anything, it's whenever there's animals that I need to purchase, it's, it's helping me get them to my financial benefit. Mm -hmm. Honestly, you know, it's, um, you know, and, and, Given it's, I'm lucky to be in a position where when someone has 30 snakes that, you know, they, they've been sitting on and mm-hmm. they need to move. I, I can, I can help them with that. And, and, yep. and then, you know, in turn helps me, but you're, you're a hundred percent right. I mean, it's, and in fact, it's actually the advice you're giving there is very similar to advice I gave long before COVID ever came around. I, I've always said, it's great to specialize. Because you become known for it, right? You become known for this and you become really good at that species or, or, you know, that whatever. But you still need to branch out. It's Mm -hmm. you can have that as your core. But if you work with nothing but that and that market has a, a lull, you're stuck. You're, you're not going to, you know, do well. And again, this, this is all. I'm talking financially and, you know, it's 
if you're just keeping animals because you, you enjoy them, you want to breed just to, to do that process, you keep whatever you like, whatever you love. I don't give a shit what the market tells you, okay? <laughs> yep. You do what makes you happy because, trust me, that's what I've done for a very, very long time, and I still do it. I, I still yep. do it. I enjoy the animals that we have. Um, if I don't like them, they're not here. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's simple as that. Um, so – you know, but if you are wanting to to have any kind of financial peace to go along with it, yes, specialize, but you can't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, you never know when you go set your table up at a show. It's this show. They may want those Japanese rat snakes <laughs> at the next show. They may think those are the ugliest things on your table. <laughs> Yep. You know, you never know. So it's, you, you want to have that mix to, to keep it rolling. But, you know, to go back to your original question, no, man, it's not doom and gloom. It's, I see nothing, but I look at it as if things are going this well for so many of us, while this is supposed to be the doom and gloom, oh, I'm looking forward to the bright days again, because yeah. it's going to be <laughs> yep. incredible, you know? Mm-hmm. So no, cool. Okay. I'm going to do science piece now um this is going to be somewhat short i promise we'll do a more involved one in one of the upcoming episodes um but i well first of all this kind of gets down to something that clint messaged me so uh clint and i message each other fairly frequently throughout the week um and i am currently in the part a part of the semester where i get bogged down and i live up to the reputation of the absent-minded professor i kind of fixate on one thing get tunnel vision and forget about the other things uh but he he sent me uh a a link to a new species of bungaris that was discovered in thailand and if you don't know what bungaris is that's a crate and you might be thinking like crate is an elapid or a lapid what the hell are they doing talking about that on colubrid and colubroid radio and so here's where things get a little technical because I think it's necessary that we actually have a little bit of a lesson on what the hell a colubrid is. Um, So we know what colubrid is, um, and we know what colubrid is, uh, but we may not actually know where those words come from. So I'm going to try not to make everybody glaze over now, uh, because we're going to go taxonomy agnostic here and just do some rules. uh, and, And this is... Stuff I knew but was truly taught to me by the great Mark O'Shea when he was editing my book and wordsmithed every single taxonomic term. So I know this intimately. But whenever we say colubrid, what you are referencing with when you add the id to the end of that word is that is the kind of immortal suffix in taxonomy that indicates a family. So by saying colubrid, you are abbreviating the term colubridae or colubridae, whatever you prefer to say, okay? And so when we were way back in when we started this thing, I am a nerd. Everybody knows that now that listens. And I kind of get hung up on things. Uh, And if we were going to do a colubrid podcast, the problem I had was the modern day taxonomy, the more I'm going to say it, the more progressive taxonomy. There's somebody listening to this right now that's probably rolling over by me saying that, by the way. Uh, Recognizes the fact that what we used to recognize as the family colubridae 
is now is is what we call it was polyphyletic. There's multiple lineages of snakes that were kind of falling under that. It was historically what we would refer to as a junk drawer taxa. Um, that's what I've always called them. We all know what your junk drawer is. That's where you just kind of throw stuff. So the typical snakes were all thrown into this family. And if you know the taxonomy, like garter snakes and a rat snake, I have a really hard time accepting that those two things fall within the same family. And so now we have molecular evidence, morphological evidence, physiological evidence, zoogeographic evidence, all the evidence in the world to say that those garter snakes are not colubrids. Who gets to keep the name colubrid? The first snake that got the name. That's what we call um, priority in zoological nomenclature. So I be- I don't know what it was exactly, but I know that it was a true, you know, one of the uh, true, I don't want to say the wrong thing because I don't <laughs> want to make people mad. Um, it was a European snake. Uh, and if you know what it is, post it on our Facebook page so everybody knows it. But it was probably one of the racer-like snakes from Europe. Um, and, and so the garter snakes are very dissimilar to that. So they were historically put in their own subfamily, uh, which was the Natricinae. Well, now they've been elevated to a family level, but when they get elevated to a family level, they are now Natricids. They're not colubrids. We're going to talk about those on this show. So me being the nerd that I am, I wanted to honor that. So then what the hell is that? What what term do we use for that? Well, if you back up a group taxonomically, there's this major clade of snakes called the Colubroidea. And the Colubroidea include things like vipers. They co- include the Lamprophiids, um, which are things like Madagascar, hognose snakes, um, the uh, Egyptian false coral snake or cobras that we talked about with um, Kayla's episode. And the Clubroidians also include the Elapids. So we are the show on the NPR network that if we wanted to go off one day and be like, Vipers, we can do it. <laughs> if we wanted to have an Elapid episode, we could do it. If we wanted to have a Homolopsid episode, which is coming up, by the way, those are the aquatic Asiatic snakes that are all rear fanged, we could do it. So the way that I define colubroid for our podcast is we obviously are not going to start on a tangent keeping your gaboon viper. Um, I've never kept a gaboon viper. I'm assuming Clint hasn't kept a gaboon viper. I have a story, though. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. I've never kept one. However, a friend of mine did. Okay. <laughs> friend had several venomous species. And one day I go over there with my wife, I think girlfriend at the time, and he had these in a room that was, by the time all the cages were around the walls, maybe eight foot by eight foot, maybe, you know, like meaning the the eight feet between, you know, inside the cage. Okay. Yes. So... He had, I mean, that was the first time I saw a Gila monster in in Mm -hmm. person. First time. um, He had some beautiful rock rattlers. I mean, gorgeous. Leopard. Yeah, Transpecos, Copperheads. I mean, you're talking about some really good-looking animals. And he had this gaboon. Well, he gets the gaboon out, and he has it hooked. And it slides off the hook and falls about 10 inches from my feet where it lays 
And I just freeze. (laughs) It's, I'm, come on, if I take a shot from that, there's not going to be any antivenom anywhere near Mm -hmm. me, you know? And Mm -hmm. now luckily, I mean, they're they're a fairly docile species, you know? Um, And it had no intent. It didn't even look at me as like I was there. But just the fact of having something that exotic, that venomous fall 10 inches from my feet. And, you know, he just hooked it back up and put it up. But, yeah, you know, your heart beating. Zach, it puckered. You know what I mean? I mean, it was all about that. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Never had one, but uh, I've been up close. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, we're not going to be talking about them on our show because I define Calubroid as basically anything that was in the when when, when Calubroid when the family Calubridae had all the subfamilies um, that are now kind of elevated to families like the Dipsatidae and Lamprophiidae and the Neutricidae and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I just basically when I came up with the name of the show was like if you were formerly in the family Calubridae and you've been elevated. You are what we are going to define as a colubroid for this show. But know that the advanced snakes, the Sanofidia, if you're a real herpetological nerd, um, the colubroidia are, are one of the major groupings of, of that group. So colubroid is referring to all the snakes that have that kind of body plan. So it excludes the primitive snakes like boas and pythons. And then um, the, the group of snakes that we never really talk about which are the scalecophidia which are things like blind snakes mm-hmm. of which there's way too many of um if scott Iper's listening scott loves those he's in australia uh but yeah so that's what we talk about when we say colubroid on our show we're just simply talking about all the things that were one time in the family colubridae but using modern cladistics modern taxonomy have now been elevated to their own family level uh and and there are there are snake taxonomists that still think Colubridae is like the one family and all those other things should be subfamilies. Um, and then there's others that think that they should be recognized as their own independent lineages. But here we're just going to simply say Colubridae are all of the typical Colubrid snakes that have now been elevated to a new family using modern day taxonomy. So there you go. That's what we mean by the word Colubroid. All right. Okay. <laughs> huh. So, um, all right. So the way this episode is going to work is that Clint and I were messaging each other back and forth, thinking that we needed to do one, just the two of us, and wanted to give it some form of structure. And so Clint came up with the idea of let's come up with a bunch of questions that we'll just randomly ask each other that are relevant to, you know, the times we find ourselves in. And I, like a good podcast host, have like three that are really lame and Clint said earlier he has 12. So, <laughs> so with that being said. I can't say that they're good. Yeah, I just see yeah. that 12. Um, so I'm going to let you go first since you have so many. So are we going to basically pose the question and we both talk about it? Or is that we pose the question and the other person has to answer? Let's. I'll pose it. You answer and we'll just see where things go. You know, kind of beautiful. Thing. Let's do that. All right. So, you know, one of them that I, I guess it's kind of like the middle question that I have here, but I, I am incredibly jealous of how much time you get to spend in the field. Yeah. You know, going and doing that. Cause I, I, mm-hmm. I get none, you know? Um, so with all the field experience that you have, is there like a favorite moment, a favorite experience or, or one that sticks out in your mind? 
whether it's a whether it's that one time or whether it's like this particular place was so great to go work in. I'll leave it with herps. I, I like all good herpers. I definitely have the moments I will never forget. Um, I have found as I've gotten into the middle part of my forties that I have memories that I one time were like absolutely cherished that I have to have other people remind me that they exist, which is the weirdest thing in the world. Uh, and so I know that there's a couple memories that I can, I can, I have that I, that aren't popping them to mind um, readily, but I would say, and it's a little bit lame cause I've talked about it already on our show, but one of the moments that was just like perfect for me um, and it has gotten me through some pretty rough days <laughs> in the past since july um was just when i was in colorado and like everything was vibing and i just looked to the left and there was a nasicus because for me to get to that point i found them in minnesota um but in minnesota it was different nothing against the minnesota folks that we went out with but when we went on that trip it was like just came out of school. I was still in that kind of weird, chaotic work mode, not field mode yet. Um, it takes me about a week and a half, about 10 solid days to go from the chaos of being the department head and advisor and all that stuff to just getting to my true form, which is field biologist, natural history, Zach. When we went to Colorado, I was in that mode. Like and, and and so I had done my homework. I had read the papers. I had done everything, and I, I was walking through that prairie. I and and so you know, they talk about this thing called flow now. I, I, I listened to a podcast about flow. I don't know why we have to like define it as flow, but there's this whole idea of when like everything just lines up and you're where you're supposed to be, and you just are at a, like a heightened sense of awareness. But you're also calm, so it seems like you should be elevated, but you're not. You're just, like, part of the system. Um, I was in that mode when I was in Colorado. And I remember, like, I heard the, the brushes moving, and I looked to the left. Before I looked, I knew it was a snake just because of the way snakes <laughs> sound. Awesome. You know what I mean? And that's when I found the bull snake that was poking its head in and out of the gopher holes. So that was pretty phenomenal. Um, and the students – that I had with me, they'd never seen a bull snake before about half of them. And I, I didn't have a bag cause we weren't really keeping the snakes for any reason, but I didn't want to let the bull snake go. So here I am walking through the high prairie of Colorado with a bull snake, just like a pet bull snake. It's just slithering all over me. It was ridiculous. Um, it did the whole pitch office. Like I'm going to rip your head off. I'm going to hiss. I'm a rattlesnake. And then, you know, it calmed down when it realized that, that wasn't getting it anywhere. So I've been walking for about 10 minutes and um, I got to the top of a bluff and I was just telling my students about this the uh, uh, like last week and the everything in the world universe, whatever you want to call it. It just was like, look to the left. Like it was, I don't know how to explain it. I, I've done the same thing when I was deer hunting before mm -hmm. where it's just like you're, 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 you're thin slicing all of the data that you're seeing and it was just look to the left. And here I am holding this goofy ass bull snake. And there's the, the Nasicus. Um, and I had the foresight to take a picture. It's a horrible picture. <laughs> <laughs> but I look at that picture like 
about once every three weeks just to kind of get back into that moment. But, but that was a super, super special moment because the thing about field herping is it's it, it's truly it's not the destination. It's the voyage to get to the destination. Like for me to get to the point where I was by myself and I herped up a Plains Hogno snake, I had spent 10 days driving all over Kansas. Collect, or We captured over 250 snakes road cruising. Didn't get a Nassicus on that trip. I then read more, made the contacts in Minnesota, went out to Minnesota, had was trained by their biologist for seven days. So, you know, I'm acquiring knowledge. It's all part of the voyage. We get to Kans- or Colorado. Now I'm on my own. I don't have a guide. I'm the guide. I've got their students with me. And just to be able to walk right up on the, the hognose snake, it might as well have been a 12-foot Bushmaster as far as I was concerned. Like, it was that whole process was what was cool. So I've had a couple moments like that in, in my career. Um, the other one, also involving hognose snakes, was my first Eastern um, because I did my master's thesis on Easterns. And I've talked about this on at least one podcast. I went into grad school at Marshall uh, in the herpetology lab at Marshall with Dr. Tom Polly. And Polly did not want people doing projects with snakes for their master's degree. He he pushed you strongly towards salamanders because you could go out and find a bunch of salamanders and get enough data to write a thesis. And Snakes are hard. Like you, you got to grind to get the snakes. And here I am. And, and I wouldn't say that I was arrogant because I knew what I was up against. I was just dumb. <laughs> That's what it was. It wasn't arrogance. It was like, I think I can go through hell and, and, and do this. Like, you know, I knew it was going to be a painful endeavor. And we set up these drift fences um, a quarter mile of drift fence on an abandoned strip mine in southern West Virginia. You got to bury the bottom part of a drift fence and abandoned mines. They just basically go down to bedrock. So we were literally using chisels to create dirt. I want you to think about that for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were dragging buckets of dirt over from like 100, 200 yards away to 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 put down the quarter mile of drift fence. And what I learned is that the bench of an abandoned strip mine is about the most inhospitable place on planet Earth. It gets to be about 120 degrees because the rocks are exposed by like 8.30 in the morning. So we did this in March, and then our placement for the drift fence was just horrible. So I had to go out, and I marched all over that drift, that bench of that strip mine. I think we combined, we put in 1,500 hours. I want you to think about that. Wow. So the way that's calculated, if you don't know, if five people go out for an hour, that's five person hours of effort. So I had my wife out there. She was a grad student then. I was basically like getting as many grad students out there as possible with beer. And then we would have to sleep on the damn uh, mine to kind of let the bear- beer wear off <laughs> so we could then drive home. Um, but 1,500 frigging hours. We got a lot of black racers, way too many rig necks, some garter snakes, got a lot of copperheads. Copperheads were fun. Um, some garter snakes. I had my blessed Nerodia. The Nerodia were what got me through that whole experience because I had a marsh on my mind. Uh, and I, I switched my topic from hognose snakes on the mind to all the reptiles and amphibians on the mind. <laughs> and 
We were driving to the mine site. I had given up on hognose snakes. Like, we're not going to find one there. And I was driving to the site. And uh, there was there's no road in West Virginia that is straight for more than, like, 100 meters. That just doesn't happen. So we'd hit this one straightaway. And in the far distance, I saw a snake crossing the road. And I was, at first glance, I was like, oh, it's a copperhead because it was short and squat. And then, you know, I'm going about 60. So think about how long it takes to cover 100 meters. Mm -hmm. And I think I'd gotten about half the distance. And my brother-in-law, who was going to Marshall as a freshman then, he was in the car with me because we were I had set some turtle traps that I needed to to check. And I still to this day remember when the synapse occurred in my brain where it all lined up. And that was like, holy shit, that's a hognose snake. And I learned that I can stand upright on the brake pedal of my 1993 Chevy Cavalier and put all my weight on it. The car's like going like this. I straddled the snake and then I was so excited. I did what every good Herper does. I jumped out of the snake and I, or sorry, jumped out of the car and I didn't put it in park. So, <laughs> so, and remember how I said there's no straight roads in West Virginia. So we're heading towards a curve. Thank God Chris was in the car because he put it in park. But I ran back. I grabbed the snake off the road. It was perfect. Immediately started doing the death display, oh, you know, nice. thanatosis, crapped all over me, puked all over me. And this is before cell phones had cameras. Um, but Chris had the foresight to grab uh, the digital camera out of the back of my car. And there's a picture of me. And I am like, I look deranged with happiness because of what we had to do to like just proof that the damn snake was there. Like right, the initial right. idea was worth it. Um, but that one will forever be like way, way up there. And and I, I will admit, like I took that thing back to Huntington. I, I took so many pictures of it. And what's really weird is I took a bazillion pictures of the damn thing. And then that was like 15 laptops ago and I don't have them. So I've been actually oh. frantically trying to find them. Um, the West Virginia DNR has some of them because they're the standard picture they use for hognose snakes is the one that I took. And then I brought the snake back and I, I let it go. Um, but I had it for like two or three days. Uh, but that one's up there. Um, and then the, I guess another one was when um, I caught my first venomous snake. Uh, I was of course, I did everything wrong. I was by myself. Um, I found a cottonmouth in a swamp in North Carolina. And I thought it would be a really good idea. I, I was trying to catch dragonflies because that's how much of a nerd I was. I went out to catch <laughs> dragonflies. I want you to think about that. And I had my bug net, and my insect net, an aerial net. And I'm out there and I literally was like stepping on these logs trying to get across this part of the swamp. And I saw this white thing that was like there was this white flash coming out of the log that I kept stepping on. And I was like, what the hell is that? And then I leaned down. And what it was is it was a, a about an 18-inch eastern cottonmouth that every time I was putting my foot down, it was in the hollow log. And it thought I was, like, threatening it. So it was actually doing the cottonmouth display. And I, like every good dumbass 18-year-old, I was 18, I, I thought, I'm not going to touch that. How can I catch that? That was literally the way that my brain worked. It was like, I'm not touching that thing. Yeah, no, that's unacceptable. This is totally being caught. So I got it in the bug net of all things. And then uh, it was at the Outer Banks of North Carolina. And there's a high school there. And so, you know, me being an idiot, I walked it out into the middle of the parking lot and dumped it out. And I was shaking so uh, 
uncontrollably with whatever you want to call that energy um, uh, that the pictures were horrible. Like I have them. I laugh at how bad they are. You can't even tell what the hell I was taking a picture of, but um, caught that. I, you know, I got my pictures and I wa- got it back in the bug net and walked out and then let it go. But no, there's been quite a few uh, like that. Um, but yeah. See, I've got, <clears throat> you know, I have a story here, a story there. I, you know, there's one, when mm-hmm. I found an Eastern Diamondback for you know that was mm-hmm. awesome for me, but really the only herping story I have has nothing to do with herps whatsoever. It was I was out at Snake Road. I don't oh, know if you've ever okay. got to visit oh, Snake I, Road. I have one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, look it up. Um, yeah, it's, it's incredible. Um, it's the only place in the country that I know of where two times a year. They closed the road because of the massive yep. migration of snakes and really other herps. On one side of the road are a bunch of rocky bluffs, mm-hmm. and on the other side is a swamp. So during the fall, you have all the, the herps that are crossing from the swamp to the bluffs to go into to brumation. And during the spring, you have them crossing from the bluffs over to the swamp. And this road is a it's a two mile stretch, and it's you will. I've had friends go out there that stopped counting cotton mouths at seventy. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's ridiculous if you hit it at the right time. And there's so many different species out there. It's it's in Illinois, yeah. uh, kind of the Illinois Missouri border. Um, so <laughs> I go out there and I walk the entire two miles down to the end of the road. Didn't see a thing. Not one snake. I get down to the end. And now this was cool. We saw a pair of bald eagles circling yeah. above. So seeing those was neat. Just as I turn to begin the walk back, the bottom fell out. And when I say the bottom fell out, I don't mean we got rained on. I mean, it was that heavy, hard rain where you, if you're in a vehicle, you can't see anything. You can't hear anything. It was that heavy. And it did that for the entire two mile walk back, back down that road. Mm -hmm. And back then I was a much bigger guy. There was no running going to take place. It didn't happen, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was so that was the, the that's my snake road story is walking in the pouring rain for two full miles. Yeah. By the time I mean I'm just completely my shoes are sloshed. My I'm, it was ridiculous, but um, yeah. But, but I definitely want to get out there again and hopefully have some better luck. Yep, but, I, I've been there one time. Um, when I took herpetology as an undergraduate student, the first time I took it, my uh my undergraduate advisor. His name was Bob Gordon. We all called him Mr. Gordon. He had a master's degree from Southern Illinois. And he had, his thesis was insane. He actually lived there and he studied the cottonmouths for his master's degree. And he and his wife lived in a little spirit trailer uh, when they were like freshly married back in the, I think it was the fifties. And he just literally got to live, you know, on snake road and, and captured all these cotton mouths. He measured all the cotton mouths. He, he set up drift fences for the cotton mouths. His sample sizes were insane. 
And he always talked about, you know, I got to get you to Snake Road. I got to get you to uh, the, the the bluffs, as he called it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we had herpetology uh, in the spring of 2000, uh, he took us for Easter. We went out to Western Kentucky. We stayed at a field station there for a little while. And then the last day of the trip, we drove up to the to Snake Road. And then we went to, you know, herpet. And I have I. I I listened to Gordon talk about Snake Road for four freaking years. I I was a five-year college student because chemistry and I hated each other, and chemistry <laughs> won. So <laughs> anyway, so for for four years, I listened about how amazing Snake Road is, and like, and, and, and I was vibrating when we were driving to this place. I was so excited because um, my favorite snakes are actually aquatic snakes, like. My dirty little secret is, you know, I went out west and saw Lepidus, like the banded rock rattlesnakes. I saw Willard Eye. That was amazing. Um, but I get just as jazzed seeing my 100th cottonmouth as I do mm-hmm. seeing a Lepidus because I just love swamps. I mean, I'm the crayfish guy for crying out loud. We're the crawdads. So anyway, so uh, we get there and we left and it was like 70 degrees in April. Perfect. Cloudy. Everything you want it to be. And as we drove north, the temperature dropped like literally 25 degrees. And then it went to a cold rain, not a warm rain. And when we roll up, uh, I was like, son of a bitch. I am finally here mm-hmm. after listening. And and um, we hurt our asses off. Uh, Gordon was able to get permits and all that kind of stuff. But I don't want to give the impression like we weren't using hooks or tongs. We were just walking around and we got one cotton mouth, Western cotton mouth. It's the only Western cotton mouth that I think I've seen. Um, that's not true. I got another one in Missouri once. Um, but it was like we were walking out. We were deflated. I felt bad for Gordon because he had like talked this place up. I actually learned a lesson that I have used as a professor, which is I try not to like make places we're going seem like the promised land because i don't mm-hmm. you know it's much rather to downplay it and then have the big moment than expect the big moment and then we don't get any moment right. but um we got one caught mouth and the little booger was like eight feet out into the swamp coiled up on a log and it was probably like 14 inches or sorry 10 inches it was a, a juvenile but i get to say i got to see a cotton mouth at snake road so yeah. uh, that was that um and yeah, a lot the- of worm snakes i remember the worm snakes being everywhere when we were there that's the thing with Snake Road is, you know, I've always said you can't really plan a trip to Snake Road because yeah. it's it's all about that perfect day yep. during the perfect time of year. So it's you can't be like, OK, that's Saturday of this month. Why don't we plan on going? Because you never know what your weather's going to look like. Mm-hmm. It's a today's a good day. Let's go type yeah. of thing. And, yeah. yeah. And if cool you spot. I will say this, if you're listening to this. Uh, Snake Road's a well-known herping spot. This is not like we're not letting out some secret. Right, absolutely. But but you absolutely have to know, since it is known to have snakes and it's protected, the whole area is protected, get it out of your head that you're going to touch anything. Don't Correct. touch anything. And don't ever go there with a hook or tongs because if you want to get a ticket faster than anything, just mm-hmm. walk up and down Snake Road with snake hook, snake tongs. It's not a good advisable thing so just look take your cell phone pictures but don't touch um i thought of one more while you were talking while we were talking that's a really good one uh my student aaron allison uh, she did 
her thesis with me in this thing called conservation messaging, which is something that's near and dear to my heart as I'm hosting a podcast, which is basically like, how do you talk to the public and get them to care about animals that at face value, they're never going to care about. So obviously snakes are on that and are on that short list. So we did this cool project. We worked with um, Emily Taylor for people listening. Who's like the rattlesnake goddess uh, from Cal Poly. But we put together a survey and videos and we basically put these two messages out into the world. Do you get through to people more if you teach them that rattlesnakes are good mothers? So you personify, uh, give the rattlesnakes human characteristics, or do you get through to people more if you teach them that rattlesnakes help control things like disease, which is more of a like utilitarian approach. So we made these videos. We had people watch the videos. Um, They took a survey and then Aaron crunched all this data. And to make a a long story short, there was the biology of pit vipers meeting. And I studied crayfish. I have no business going to the biology of pit vipers meeting, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to find a reason to go. (laughs) (laughs) So um, Aaron had this study. And so we were talking with Emily or Dr. Taylor. And sure enough, we were able to make it so that Aaron got invited to give her talk. And I, as her advisor, need to, of course, go with her um, <laughs> to this this meeting in the desert where there isn't a crayfish to be seen. Uh, and then um, Aaron's uh, boyfriend was another one of my graduate students, Alec. And Alec was my, like, herping buddy. Like, Alec and I are tight. Uh, Alec's the only grad student I've ever had that truly reminds me of me, mm-hmm. um, uh, which means he's a complete crackhead dumbass when it comes to anything that involves a snake and so alec aaron and i went and so we went a day early um and we were going to go and try to find um banded rock rattlesnakes and i am not going to give sites away so don't ask me um but we basically you know, we went out to find banded rocks because lepidus is of, of the of the three small rattlesnakes lepidus is the is my favorite look of the three and there's there's Lepidus, there's Willardye, and there's Priceye. Um, Willardye is the ridge nose. Priceye is the twin spotted. Now, when I go out herping, you know, I'm, we're coming off. Aaron and Alec, by the way, were the ones that went with me to Kansas, and we did the 10 days where we found everything but our target. So uh, there's this kind of running joke, which is if I say we need to find this, it's the one damn thing we won't find, but we will find everything else that nobody ever finds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so on that trip, my goal was to find a desert king snake and a banded rock rattlesnake. Okay. So we go off to find the banded rock rattlesnakes and we're driving our rental car up through the mountains for service land. Um, and it's the monsoon season. And I'm the dumbass hillbilly from West Virginia that doesn't know what the hell a monsoon is in the desert. I thought I did. I didn't know that you get these like massive rain events that are really, you know, they may not last long, but all the roads are the creek bed. So if you're caught in them, you get caught in not necessarily a flash flood. I don't want to give that impression if you haven't gone there. But it gets real mucky real quick, and it's kind of difficult to drive in and, and mm-hmm. lightnings everywhere and all this kind of good stuff. So we went out to this lepidus spot, and we didn't find the leps. And so the, the, the monsoons are coming. Like, thunderstorms are rolling in, much like your story. And I have to get Alec to quit. Because, you know, I am in my 40s now. I have 
kids. I have a job. I don't have that. <laughs> I'm going to keep rolling. I am able to do a little bit of like crisis management. I'm able to be like, you know, this is dumb. You probably shouldn't be doing this. So uh, I got them to get back in the car. Well, the rains hit before we got back to the car. So we're sopping wet. And Google Maps is telling us to take this route. And we start down that route. And it's dumb because it is literally the creek bed. The creek bed is the road. The road is creek bed. So I mm-hmm. arguing with Alec. And I'm like, you know, I'm the guy whose name's on the rental. Let's back up. We're going back the way we came, which was going to add like an hour to our trip. And so we're, we back out. takes us 20 minutes. We're going back out the way we came. And then we get to the top of the ridge, and there, same story. There is a snake in the road. And I, this snake was glowing. Uh, it was glowing silver. And I said, I think that's a snake. And Alec was like, yeah, I think it's a snake too. And so he starts slowing down. Well, I had completely reserved myself to the fact, like, I, I, there was no way we were finding a ridge-nosed rattlesnake. There's no way we're finding a willard eye. We didn't target a willard eye. You have to kind of go to certain places to find a Willard Eye. We weren't in a place that was known for Willard Eye. And as we're getting closer and closer and closer, we're a rel- we're like a PG-13 show. <laughs> but I yelled, like, and I'm a loud guy, as loud as I could within the little rental car, oh, my effing God, it's an effing Willard Eye. And I did the same thing I did before. Jumped out of the car before it stopped moving. So Alec almost ran me over because I fell. <laughs> But I got up and sprinted, and, and I was pretty geeked, geeked for that. So uh, that snake was beautiful. Like, I was not prepared for how amazing that animal was. Um, pictures don't do that species justice. I will say in that moment, it was cooler than a cottonmouth. I will fully admit to that. Uh, but, like, being out there with my students, two students that I actually really cared about, lightning's crackling you see the mountains in the background you can smell the ozone it's real stupid there's a pit viper like it doesn't get better than that so that was another one that was was really really cool we got real real good pictures of it so the next day we woke up got the lep uh we got uh we, we got a lepidus really quick the next day so then we have to get the twin spotted rattlesnake and we were able to use um some of the people that you know the people that know where they are at the conference so we made friends, but we were able to get all of the the um the the dwarf montane high montane small rattlesnake species in a forty eight hour period. So that's something I'm pretty proud of. So we got all those right. What was the other snake I said I wanted? A desert king snake. Mm-hmm. Everybody at the conference was like a splendida. Those are like everywhere. We herped our asses off. Alex started yelling at me because I'm like, I didn't get my desert king snake yet. He's like, you got all three of the like of the montane rattlesnakes. What the hell's your problem? We got blacktails, Mojave's. We got Mojave um, Aatrox. Sorry, Aatrox Veritas hybrids, which are really cool. Um, we got long nose snakes. I still don't have my damn desert king snake. We got uh, I have a D.O.R. We got one dead on the road. But mm. so it just gives me a reason to go back out. I was going to say that's what it sounds yeah. like to me. So. Anyway, so so yeah, that's the other part of that. That's just really goofy. But you know, I don't keep Willard Eye. I've got eight Splendida living in my garage right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but no, it was really funny because each day we would report what we had found road cruising with everybody else, and they're like, "Whoa, you got that? You got that?" And then I would be like, "Yeah, but we still haven't gotten a Desert King." And they, oh, well, we got like four. I'm like, <laughs> "Shut up." <laughs> 
You know what I mean? So, yeah, no, I still don't have a live Splendida. I have a dead one. But um, I'm hoping to get that here shortly. So, Well, like I said, man, it's definitely a, a piece <laughs> of, of what you get to do that I'm certainly jealous of is, is uh, how much time you get to spend in the field. Well, thanks. So, yeah. Awesome I, stories, buddy. Well, next week, I'm putting up with hell this week, but next week I'm in South Carolina chasing crayfish. I got to drive. I'm meeting Casey Cannon, for those of you who know him. Um, his thesis is at St. Augustine Crocodile Farm. So we're going to, I'm going there and I conveniently planned a day where I got to go from Jacksonville to South Carolina and I'm going to be in the car for seven hours. I already have my route planned with the rental car because I don't have a Getula yet. I, 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 I mm. that's my, my goal with the King snakes is I wanted to have a, a, a group of snakes I specialized on that I could actually go and find. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got a couple tin flipping sites. I've done the whole Google Earth thing that I'm going to try to hit on my way north. And if you're listening, I'm not keeping the Getula. I'm going to take pictures. I'm going to put the thing right back. But mark my words, I said right now my target is an Eastern King, which means I'm going to find <laughs> everything a freaking <laughs> albino cane break. And I'm going to probably find, you know, four pine snakes. <laughs> I'm going to find a damn Eastern King snake. So gotcha. Anyway. Nice. Very yeah. nice. All right. So I guess that was your first question. My That's question's mine. more of a, a Clint question. Um yep, bring it on. So you obviously have specialized on colubrids, and we are mm-hmm. a colubrid show, but there's a lot of snakes out there. So is there another group of snakes besides colubrids that you want to work with, have worked with in the past? Is your dirty little secret for the Colubrid podcast um, that that like you could see yourself working with in the future? Well, or is it like, nope, I'm going to do Colubrids and that's it. Colubrids will always be my passion. That's where my heart is. There's no doubt about it. But I will tell you the the snakes, the the family, so to speak, that will I'm working with some now boas. I enjoy Uh boas now. At the same time, boas are the only – when I say that, I've got Surinams, I've got Guyanas. I, I really like locality boas a lot, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that I don't like morphs too. I've, um, I've got uh, – this will actually – oh, I'm super excited about this, really stoked. I've got a um, a pregnant Doomerals female right now. Oh. And I've never produced Doomerals, so this would be my first year producing Doomerals mm-hmm. as, as long as everything goes uh, uh, goes as planned. But I, I really dig so many of the boa species. Surinams are probably my favorite. Um, yeah. But I, I love Argentines. I want to get mm-hmm. Bolivians. I mean, there's so many of these I really want to to work with. Um, and at the same time, it's funny because they're the only snakes I don't trust either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and what I mean by that is. Whether a snake is a docile species or an asshole, I can tell <laughs> mm-hmm. if it's going to bite me. I can tell mm-hmm. if it's agitated. You know, I don't care if it's a biok, you know, uh, green tree yeah. python that you know is going to light you up if you, you know, give it a chance. Yeah. Or if it's a, you know, a little corn snake that has never struck and, you know, ever. I can, people ask me. This is inevitable, inevitable, especially with as many presentations and whatnot as I do. Do you ever get bit? Yeah. And I'm like, if I don't count babies, 
because mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm popping babies. I'm doing all that. Of course, you know, they're trying to bite me. If I don't count babies, I may get bit about once every three years. And it's mm-hmm. because I just, I, I can read them. I know how to move them or pick them up or, you know, whatnot without getting bit. Uh, and that's even with working with Carinata, working with Ridley Eye, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, that they want to bite me, you know? Yeah. Um, I just don't take shots, but I got people who work, you know, with me or, or clean the cages and they're taking shots all the time. But boas are the only family that I can't read. You know, they're, sometimes mm-hmm. they're going to do the whole, you know, you know hiss at you yeah. or whatever, and you know, but they're the ones that go from completely chilled, relaxed, seeming like everything's fine to wham. Yeah. They, and they thump you. And, you know, so it's funny that it's that I, I like them so much when they're the, the one family that I just can't, I, I don't trust. And I say that yeah. and like, you know, you see the people who I've never been one that likes to put a ball python or any snake mm-hmm. around my neck and, and hang yep. it, you know, that way. I don't do that because it's just, there's too much moving right here on the face. Yes. You know, I blink, uh-huh. I talk, I do, I don't want to take a shot to the face. Um, so I never do that, but that's the, yeah, the one, whenever I see people hang boas on them and they're like, she's so sweet. And I'm like, you're right, but nope, that, yeah. <laughs> I will hold it. But the head's not getting anywhere near my face. Cause I do not trust the species, but, but that's definitely, you know, to answer the question. Yeah. That would be the, the next, you know, kind of family that I'm, I'm really, uh, that I like, you know, outside of colubrids, but there, there's tons more, you know, that I, I do like chondros, you know, I like the green tree pythons. Um, I, I've never really attempted to do much when it comes to breeding because I don't want to take the time to get those yeah. babies feeding. Mm-hmm. I don't mind having to scent things, but all the tease feeding, that's just too, too many man hours, you know, yes. mm-hmm. on doing that. Um, but, uh, you know, definitely, you know, others, there's, when we talk about like venomous species, I have mm-hmm. zero interest. I, I really yep. have. And I think that part of that is because, Growing up, anytime you saw a a special on TV, you know, any snake related, you know, anything, it was always on either the anaconda or venomous. Yep. And I just, I just don't, they just don't interest me. I don't mind. I would love to go find different, you know, like when I said, I found that Eastern diamond back in, you know, that was awesome. You know, seeing that for the first yeah. time, that's because I'm finding it in the field, you know, finding it yep. out in nature. But the only venomous snake that I have any, um, any interest in keeping is a local copperhead. And the yeah. only reason I want that is because I do say, I think copperheads are beautiful. I've always, I love copperheads. Yeah. I think they yeah. are gorgeous animals. The only reason I want to keep a a local copperhead is because I keep the local rat snake. I keep the local yeah. king snake. I keep the local water snake. I want to be able to show people the differences, you know, right here on, on what they are. But, um, but that's, yeah, it, it's gotta be the boas, man. Those are definitely the second, second piece for me. Yeah. You, you really are my brother from another mother. Cause that's mine too. Is it really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny because, and I'm, I, I we are part of the Morelia Python network, mm-hmm. but I've I've done the Python thing, I've done the boa thing, and I seem to always gravitate to the boas. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've bred carpets now, coastals, and or IJs or hopwinds or whatever you want to call them. Um, 
and I liked I liked them, uh, but I liked the bows better. I don't know if it's because I've got this weird thing with things that live in South and Central America. Um, my favorite bow is, and I kept a handful of them. Um, I've had Amazon tree boas. I've I've kept um, BCIs um, or bow Imperador now, I guess. Uh, Hog Islands, I did those. I had mm-hmm. Longicata, the long tails. I really liked the long tails. Uh, and then I just kind of moved all those out because I wanted to get a little bit more focused on the colubrids. Uh, but my favorite boas that I've ever kept are the biggest snakes I've ever kept, which were, I'm the nut job. It, it, it tracks when I say this, if you really think about the animals I like, but uh, yellow anacondas were like, <laughs> they were my favorites. And I, I've probably had six of those. Uh, and wow. I had a couple that were big. Um, I had one of the six that I could hold. I know exactly what you were talking about with the, yeah, it's chill. I'm on your arm. And then bam, the next thing yep. you know, I'm bleeding. Like the, mm-hmm. the yellows, they they don't really do the hissing or anything. They have a body, like they have a, a a posture they do where it's like, bring it, you know, and so you just back off. And as long as you hooked them and did everything, they were fine. But uh, I moved those on to get space for more false water cobras because I was trying to get all the phenotypes of false water cobras. And I will honestly say in the past two years when I've done like the kind of reorganization of everything, I don't really mind getting rid of everything I've gotten rid of except moving my annies on. Cause I just mm. really freaking like the, those will probably be back. Um, but they're not, they weren't cuddly. I mean, I've totally mm-hmm. seen nice yellow anacondas, but uh, mm-hmm. no, that's it for me. And I have not bred any of them yet. I, I don't have a single bow a day on my, I've bred this list. Uh, the yellow, I had a pair of adult. Well, I'm doing the bunny airs thing. I had a pair of yellow anacondas, um, and then I moved those on, and I, I I moved them onto the zircles. And Rob probed them and said, "I know why you didn't get babies." And I was like, "Why?" And he's like, "Cause you got two boys. That's why." <laughs> so my one male yellow, though, I mean, it was massive for a male. So, but I trust Zirkle. Um, oh, yeah, that yeah. so that would explain why I didn't get it because I everything was dialed in those things were perfect um, but yeah no yellow anacondas way up there for me and I don't know anybody I have noted I don't want to own a green that is entirely too much snake yeah, yep um, the, the big female yellows are pushing it but I had them in mm-hmm. these really long like nine foot cages in my garage that now house adult false water covers so yeah yeah I just, yeah that's it the same thing you know the real big ones like that just they, they never really interested me either and I, i've always told people whenever i'm describing the differences between a boa and a python for, to a keeper you know not yeah i can go into you know this one has live birth this one has a but like if when you're holding a an eight foot burmese yeah it feels different it does. But boa. Like, I mean, <laughs> I say, I don't want to say it feels fatty, but when you're holding an eight foot boa, it's like you're holding a bicep. I mean, it just yeah. feels more powerful, it feels more mm-hmm. of a sleek, healthy, muscular yeah. animal, you know, to me. Um, so I, that just, I've always, always thought that was cool. And, and plus the, just your, your basic Colombian boa 
the amount of variety that comes out in a litter and mm-hmm. the way that, you know, in their appearance in that, that gray, you know, that, that yeah. slate to charcoal to, you know, very light. It just, I love the, the differences in the grays on their background pattern. and Just so cool. Yeah. Yep, definitely yep. cool. Definitely All right. Cool. All you right. want to do one more question? Yeah. If we're going to do one more, then I'm going to, <clears throat> we may have to do two. I've got, okay, I've got, we'll I got a couple of things I'm, I'm interested in hearing from you. Okay. So, so the first is, do you, I guess I need to premise by saying you've already written a book. That's yeah. badass in itself. Okay. Oh. And, and that's an achievement that many of us will, will never hit. And you're, you're writing another one. Okay. Mm-hmm. So do you have a herp goal? Do you have something that you're wanting <laughs> to achieve? And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, hobby. Maybe it is. Or if it's if there's a something you want to achieve with a species, or is, is there something like that that you're looking to hit? That is a crazy question to think about. <laughs> I've got lots of goals. I, I I always have. I live by goals. Um, I to answer this question, I would say I've got I got three different things we got to talk about. There's no way I can answer this quickly. <laughs> so, um. Herping wise, I have a really kind of nebulous goal there. And this is both within like the academic field based research thing I do. And this is also me just herping. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want to get to a point that when I die, hopefully I'm like, I know it's coming. I'm not in pain. And I think, yeah, I got it all done. <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, one of the, one of the cool things about Zeusai is until Zeusai showed up, all this was not part of my life as an adult. Like I was, I had kind of gone away from herpeticulture. I was focusing on being an organismal biologist. I was doing crayfish biology. I was not going to be a herpetologist. Um, I don't, I still have a hard time accepting a lot of my students and some of the faculty members here are like, he's a herpetologist. And I'm like, I don't think I'm a herpetologist. Then they start listing what herpetologists do, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe, but I still have a hard time <laughs> with that with that word mm-hmm. being applied to me just because of the prof- professional trajectory. But the big thing that I did later in my life when this came back in is that I, I made my mind up that, like, if I'm going to be working every damn day and I got to do the Zeusai thing, I'm going to figure out a way to do it in a way where, like, I can use it to experience things that I want to experience. I'm going to bring the students along with me. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And herpetoculture may have like ebbed with me, but herping never ebbed. That's the, the thing that everybody needs under. Like when I went out collecting crayfish, I was still looking for snakes. Um, When I was teach about crayfish, I would come home and I had crayfish tanks. I didn't have, I had one snake uh, for that entire time. So it's not really that I have like a species or an objective. I just want to like honor the herping with the rest of my time that I have. Like if I've got an opportunity to do it, I want to do it. And I want to figure out ways to do it where I don't exclude my family. Um, so like weird thing about the life I live is that I travel a lot. 
and you know this, you traveled a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because on the one hand, you might be like, oh, he travels and does all this field work. Like when I'm doing field work, it's focused on the crayfish. And if I find a snake, that's great. You know what I'm, I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me feel very guilty to come home and then be like, bye, Kathy, bye, Colin. I'm going to go look for snakes for a week now and be away for another week. You know, so I'm, I've worked on figuring out ways to incorporate Colin into it. I worked on ways to incorporate Kathy where basically go to really pretty places. And then Colin and I go look for snakes, but we only look for snakes for half the day. So I can come back and spend time with Kathy. So like just managing this and not making it work. And what I mean by that is not making it work, but like not making it literally work. Like I want to be able to enjoy it. And I think I've been, I've been able to pull that off um, so far. Uh, so I, that's, that's my weird nebulous answer for the herping. Um, but uh, as far as like professional goals, I like my niche. I, I, when I got back into this, I, I had no aspirations of being like the herpetologist to be brutally honest. When I was getting my master's degree, I I started that degree hell bent on becoming a herpetologist. And I went to meetings and I got to interact with professional herpetologists in the early 2000s. And I was kind of like massively turned off by how mm-hmm. cutthroat it was. Like, I'm not a cutthroat guy. I am competitive. I'm not saying I'm not competitive, mm-hmm. but I don't like I, I don't want to necessarily like obliterate the competition. I don't want to talk down to people. I don't, I, that is not my vibe. And I'm not saying that that was the vibe, but there was an element of that vibe. And then, and I just don't want to be, be a part of that. And that's why I jumped. That was one of the reasons why I jumped to crayfish because there was no one there <laughs> and they were desperate for people. So, um, uh, so professionally, academically, I really like trying to join people. Like mm-hmm. that's not a secret. Like this whole IHS thing is such a beautiful thing to me because we can get the, the academics that show up at that meeting are the academics I want to spend time with. And they're the academics that aren't going to talk down to some 13 year old kid that's at the meeting who's looking up to them. Like they're literally gods. Um, but they're not the kind of people that are like, look at me like a God. They're literally like, hi, my name's Steve. I like snakes just like you. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I think that one of my goals is to just foster that. And that's one of the reasons why the podcast is so important to me because I can come on this, in this space and be the, I don't even like saying it out loud. It's, it makes me feel arrogant, but I do have the three letters behind my name, but I can also show people in herpeticulture that doesn't make me a dick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm um, like, I, yeah. So one of my goals is to just keep this, whatever it is going. And then I want to validate it because I can, I can create this space, but in academic circles, whether we like it or not, there is that cutthroat piece. I do have to publish papers. I do have to do things that honor that part of my life. So mm-hmm. that's where the books come into play. And so I would say that my, my goal with herpetoculture is just to create content where I can present things at a higher level and make it digestible by as many people as possible. And that's what I, that's why I like the books. Like, Yes. I got to write so many crayfish papers, Clint, right now. It's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I'm, I mean, I have to write those papers. People gave me tens of thousands of dollars to go out and do field work to get those papers. Mm-hmm. And all I want to do is write this hog snake book. <laughs> <laughs> and no one's paying me a dime to write this hog right, snake book. Right. And when I get out the other end, I'm probably going to make like 
maybe a thousand dollars, which right. let's be real. That's not that, but I'm not doing it for that. That's like but a I dollar just, an hour yeah, for what you invested in. Truly, yeah. I just enjoy the process. I enjoy interacting with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to do the validation piece. So the, the, the goal is to validate this opportunity I've been given. I know I'm lucky as hell. I know I'm, it's a privilege. I busted my ass to get to the point to have this, but I'm not going to let it like slip between my fingers. I'm certainly not going to just roll over. Yeah, Cause that's the other thing. A lot of people are like, Zach, why are you still working the way you're working? And I'm like, I love this shit. Like, that's why I'm doing it. Right, you know, right. I don't love going to meetings. <laughs> I really don't like talking about the mission statement of the university. I, that, you know, um, but I do love teaching people and, you know, like next week will be a great week for me because I'm out in the field with my students and I'm in my happy place. Right. So right. my goal is to like foster all of that, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And then um, as far as breeding things, I, I just breed what I want to breed, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, my short term goal is I want to raise all of these hognose snake species. And I would like to, within the next five years, breed every species of heterodont, which I don't think is that difficult. I already have two. I've got to get these simus to grow up and breed, and i got to get the platyrhinos to breed. But I also have to figure out if I'm even allowed to breed the platyrhinos because they're a native species in West Virginia. So I'm, like, trying to navigate that whole space right now. Right. Um, but, but yeah, that's that. So I don't know if that answered the question or not. I think it did. But, I think it did. I, I mean, yeah. it, it's that was a very open-ended question that could go in yes, many different ways and took you in many different ways. So, I was do you have a goal? Elected. You know, I would say, as far as measurable goals, you know, one that it, it's 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 silly in a way, but I, whenever I die, <laughs> we're both talking about right, dying. That's, by that's the way. right. <laughs> so this this is a simple goal, and it, and it's something that's just for me. Whatever age I die at, I want to have been able to successfully reproduce twice that, as far as snake species. <laughs> I know how dumb that sounds. So if if I pass a away, at the, problem there. Yeah, if I pass away at fifty, I <laughs> want at least a hundred snake species, species that I have okay. reproduced in captivity. I know that it just because that's one of the things that I find after years and years of doing this, that still excites me is checking off a new species, you know, on Mm -hmm. the list. And and so that's, that's something that I know is silly. And and I've never even told anybody that I have that goal. It's just been one in my head forever. So, Mm -hmm. so that's one, Uh, but you know, but like you, it's, it comes down to, I want I've already I've already achieved a major one, and that's when I say achieve. I mean I, I'm in the process of let's put it that yeah. way to where I get to do this every day. Yeah, that's you know? a pretty big deal, man. Yeah, and it's like I don't want to say I achieved it. It's <laughs> I've jumped into it. To you know, I'll yeah. say I achieved it whenever I'm not having to do all the other things uh-huh. I'm having to do. Right. Um, but that was I mean that's really been the goal since I like I said since I was six years old is wanting yep. to do that. But there's so much more I want to do. There's so many species I want to see in the wild. There's places, I mean, out of country I want to go visit and and Mm -hmm. see all of this. So that's my goals when it comes to herps. There's so much I could talk about in the hobby that I would like to be able to 
to be. And, and I think when we come to our last question, it's going to roll with that. But the, for me personally, what I want to take from it, I guess was what I would say. Yeah. You know, cause there's goals of what I would like to give to it, but the goals I, from, of what I want to take from it, I want to be able to go experience and see so much that's not in a cage. Yep. That, that would be how that. I would explain it. That's, that's what I've, the, that's the biggest piece of this. And again, we'll, we'll call it hobby. We'll call it whatever that I feel I have missed out on the most is getting to see so much out under a rock. Well, we can fix you know? that. And I hope we do. <laughs> okay. I hope no. we do. Well, one thing I, I, I feel the need to say, because um, you definitely with writing about the book and everything, you know, that a lot of people, I, I look at that for me as just, that's what I am supposed to do. If I am a professor, professors are supposed to write books. Like, you know, I, I have that opportunity. Um, like I've said before, it was like a privilege. I'm not going to give it up. I'm going to grab it and I'm going to go with it. But you're in a different situation because I have job security. Like when I'm writing the book, I'm still getting a paycheck. <laughs> but you went from the stable paycheck and dove into hypothetical oblivion if you weren't yeah. like. Yeah. And that takes something that I didn't have to worry about, which is a tremendous amount of courage. Um and confidence that you earned through all your life experience. So uh, I know it might seem hokey me saying this, but like I have mad respect for that. Like, and you did it and it's working. That's the other thing. Cause I'm telling you right now, if I was like, I'm going to become captain false water Cobra and I'm going to base my family income off of false water Cobras. I would get two things would happen rather quickly. A, my wife would divorce my ass before I got home. <laughs> she loves me, but she is the reason we are financially stable. Like mm -hmm. I can't pass math uh, to save my life. I can't do any of that kind of stuff. So but the fact that you can do that and you rattle off all this marketing and you're able to do the planning, like that's a big deal. And then I would have lost focus because I've got ADD and I would have chased a million shiny objects. Uh, whereas you, mm -hmm eye on the prize and, and what do I have to do to get there? And I think that that's something that we both have in common, even though I just said like, I would be different is like, we are both able to, and these two very disparate worlds, we're in our comfort spot and we are, we are not necessarily risk averse. Like, absolutely. Because we are confident, not arrogant. I mm -hmm. think there's, there's something to be said about that. So. Yeah, um, I, I 100 anyway. percent agree with that. You know, I, I mm -hmm. think that, and those are words that kind of tossed around a lot. You know, the, to me, the difference between confidence and arrogance is, you know, confidence is, is believing in yourself. Arrogance is looking down on other people, and, yeah. and in no way is that you know something I think either one of us do you no. know, is looking down on anyone else. It's when making the decision to do this. I mean, was I scared? Yeah, you know, I'm still nervous at times, but I guess I just there was. I've learned something about myself, you know, over the years. And there is a difference between me to, between me wanting to do something and deciding I'm going to. Yeah. There are a lot of things I've wanted to do. And for example, I'll tell you the biggest one that I watched it turn is, you know, for those who who've not known me for ages, at one point, 
I was 286 pounds. And I had wanted to lose weight for a long time. One day I decided I was going to. It was no more want. It, no, now it happens. It happens. And mm-hmm. went down to 226 and then kind of beefed back up because I then I didn't like how small I was. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, then, you know, there's, yep. you know, there's the gym every day. Mm-hmm. So it was, but that, it taught me the difference in, and then I got to just looking, I mean, whether it's been in school, whether it was, you know, in my career, whenever I decided I'm doing this, it's going to be done. There was yeah. no stopping. It's that's just, you know, I would find yep. a way, you know, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. So, you know, while there are things I, I still want to do, I, I limit myself on the things I'm going to do. Mm, to do. And, yep. and yeah, because it just it has to happen. And so that's kind of where my mentality is with this, you know, right now is it's there are a lot of things I want to do with the company, but regardless of what it is I want, I'm going to make it succeed. It's not an option. Yep. Uh, you know, failure is not an option. So it's, no, I know that very well to, to stay pushing forward. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. You, you want to do the last question or are we? Uh, yes, I've got a final question okay. and this will be for both of us. And so for okay. everyone listening, Zach has no idea about this. This isn't something we talked about, um, but I think it will go in. It's going to go in with something we recently posted about. And for those who don't follow us on Facebook, shame on you. <laughs> but um, there was a post I made because I wanted to get a little bit of uh, feedback on on thoughts. So we, Zach and I, have been tossing around the idea of creating a Patreon. And the reason that we were looking at doing that, we had three kind of goals, three three targets, so to speak, right? Because believe me, it's nothing's going to change with the show. The show's going to, you know, still going to be coming out every two weeks. What we were looking at was if if we made something that people wanted, you know, that was was extra from us as a, a Patreon subscription, the funds that we would bring in from that, neither one of us are getting paid from it. That's not our goal. That's not what we're after. Mm-hmm. But the first thing we wanted was we would be able to use those funds to upgrade equipment. Right. So that we could do better things with the show. And what we're talking about is not just microphones and headphones, but um, cameras, um, things that give us the ability to do shows remotely so we could travel different places, things like that. So that was the, you know, first goal. Second goal was travel funds, um, where, for example, shows in California. And when I say shows, I'm not meaning for like Metazotics to go sit up and, and sell, but a show in California is something Zach and I probably are not going to get to. It, no. It's it's too far for us. That's but if the, yeah, but if the funds were there, we could go set up as the show. We would get to meet more of the listeners, get to talk about show ideas, talk about things that we discussed on the show, do shows from, you know, these things, but as well as doing things in the field, being yep. able to go, um, you know, field herping and doing different field studies and whatnot and being able to share all of that with our audience. The third, conservation. We've discussed having Mm -hmm. a conservation fund set aside where like a percentage of the Patreon each month would be donated into that fund that then Zach and I would get to take and specifically target a conservation effort, you know, on on what we would like to do. And I say that because while donating to charities is great, you don't really get to dictate what's happening with that money where, Mm -hmm. you know, that's something we would want to really be able to hone in 
on where it was spent. So with that being said, because I, I, I know where I'm going to go with it, Zach, what do you hope to see CCR achieve? Holy crap. Where That's would a- you like to go with that? <laughs> So what we're doing uh, here. See, that's really that's a fun question, because initially, I swear to God, way back, I think it was 2021. It might have been 2020. I, I'm trying to remember when the show started. Um, I distinctly remember driving by myself when I was thinking about, should I call Eric and see if I can do this? Like, I didn't even know who the hell the, the uh, co-host was going to be. And I said to myself, it's just going to be a podcast. You are not going to do blow this thing up into something beyond a podcast. You have a lab. You're building buildings. You're you're got a freaking zoo sign major. You have a family. It's just going to be a podcast. And here we are discussing what are we going to turn this thing into? And I can flat out tell you, I was naive, and I knew that I was lying to myself when I said it was just going to be a podcast. (laughs) So um, what I would like to see CCR become is kind of what it is. I've really enjoyed watching it form into what it has become. Like, I didn't think we would have a community, and we definitely have a community of core listeners Mm-hmm. I get messages from roughly 20 people every episode. That's not 100 people. But those 20 people are influencing what we're doing here mm-hmm. because, you know, and they're talking to each other. Um, so I like the idea of creating a colubrid. And I'm not going to say colubrid and colubroid. I'm just going to say colubrid from here on out. I like the idea of creating this kind of community of like-minded people that like to keep in a way where they're willing to be open to new ideas, but at the same time, if they're doing things the way they're doing it and it's working, we're okay with that. And and I just like that those people are finding a home in our social media area and, and, and with our podcast. And what I want to do now with CCR is figure out how to take that and grow it. Like I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I've been thinking a lot about the fact that, and I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and um, Eric and Owen on, I think it was Herp History. They had on the guy. I don't know. I can't remember his name because I'm not a green green tree python person or chondro person. But they had on a guy who was really active. He created Mr. Blue. Mr. Blue. And, I just listened to yeah, that one too. Yep. And he was talking about how like there was something different about herpetoculture back in the nineties that we don't have anymore because you're just like numb with all this stuff hitting you all the time. I like that CCR is, is we're working now to try to figure out a way to create this community where you can talk to people about it. Mm -hmm. You can form a relationship with somebody. That's what I want to see CCR do. I want to see it build to the point where maybe we have, um, Colubrid Fest. Yes. You know what I mean? That's one of my answers. We we get people face to face Mm -hmm. um, because I love that we're electronic and I love that you can download us and I love you can be in Omaha and Tallahassee and Paris listening to us. But I think the next step I want to do is figure out ways to get people 
together. And that's mm-hmm. saying something because I normally do everything I can to get the hell away from people. <laughs> so, so the fact I want to see that. And then the other thing I want to do, I, I want to see CCR do is put our money where our mouth is. So um, this whole conservation idea, uh, I want to, I want to, I want to start discussing on the show, the difference between conservation and preservation, um, private herpetoculture, realistically, the way it's going to do real conservation is through people giving money that we then funnel and get in the hands of people that can do something. And there are people listening to this that might be like, cause I, I think this, when I hear this on podcasts all the time, which is like people go down the conservation discussion and then I sit there as a curmudgeon academic conservation biologist and be like, but what are you really going to do? Mm-hmm. But like we get $2,500, $3,500, which is a lot of money, but not a lot of money at the same time. You know, you give that to a group that's in Latin America, like Highlands and Islands, that's run by Justin Eldon and his crew. You know, that's going to buy a bunch of transmitters. That's going to buy a couple radio um antenna receivers that's going to enable them to pay people on the ground there a little bit of money, which a little bit of money there is a lot of money by their standard. And we're actually able to gather data on some species of snake that nobody else is going to get, you know, money. It might help Mm -hmm. pay those conservation. We might be able to give them money that helps people pay the permit fee. Like nobody knows how much these damn permits can cost before you can do anything. If we were to just simply help an agency get the permits so they can then go down and do the the, the research, you know, yes. $2,500 can go a long way. So I don't – or um, this is going to sound self-serving. I don't know if I'm comfortable with this, but at the same time, uh, you know, I kind of am in the business of students doing research. So it could also be that it funds one of my grad students. I'm able to absolutely – get that person linked up with the right people. And if an extra $2,500 buys 10 more transmitters for the project, you know, if, if we get the money from listeners to cover that cost, I'm absolutely going to guarantee that it leads to something if that makes sense. But I also have my own funding streams and things like that. So I don't know if we'll ever go down that path, but I would like to see the community built. I would like to see the face to face piece somehow happen. That's why getting the shows matters. Like I might have a resting bitch face at Tinley, which you got to bear witness to, <laughs> uh, but that's just because I'm a little bit overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that once people came up and started talking, like that all goes away. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But but I want to I want to see like I just want to build the community and, and and get maybe some face to face interaction going. I, I'm completely you have to answer that. this too. Oh yeah, you can't yeah. Just throw I, this one at me. That's no problem. <laughs> no problem. I. I you know, like you, it was, you know, when first asked to, to come on as a, as a host, it was, you know, just, it was fun. I enjoyed it. You know, I, I, I liked it. And then seeing more and more as it continued to grow and, and the feedback that we were getting that that's, I think yeah. where it really started to dawn on me, you know, what we're, what we were doing and, and to your point, it's creating a community. I mean, we are getting to bring on the knowledge of so many fantastic guests and getting to share that with such a big audience. And I, I that's just wonderful to me. I, I mean, yeah. absolutely wonderful. And it, and it is, it's sharing, you know, it's that big yeah. word sharing. And 
it's so there's there's two things that I'm hoping there, there's a lot of things I want us to do, but one it, it, we've mentioned before, you know, and that's the whole the the colubrid, you know, the kind of symposium, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that would be fantastic to be able to get that group where we have individuals doing talks, you know, on, yep. on different areas, uh, in different species and different pieces of the hobby and getting to showcase, you know, their animals. And just, I, I think that, yes, that would be such a remarkable, you not a, not a, you know, Python in sight. Right. Yep. <laughs> and, and I mean, just how fantastic would that be? Um, so that's something I hope that we're able to get to put together, you know, at some point. The other is when we were talking about conservation, and and this is one I, I haven't for those listening, I've never said this to Zach. It's th- there's multiple pieces on why I'm going to say this. First, I want to go back real quick to when you said that you you learned how to incorporate Kathy and Colin yeah. into what you're doing. So something, a mistake I made whenever I had, and, and I still to a degree make it. I would travel for work through the week. I would come home and I'd have all the animals that I would need to take care of and and knock out. I would go down there and I would, you know, go through it as quick as I could because I wanted to go be able to spend some time with the kids. And there were times that like the boys would come down and, you know, want to be down there. They'd want to help. And to a big degree, I wouldn't let them because I was trying to get through it so fast so I could go spend time with them that like an idiot, I didn't realize, Clint, if it took you twice as long, you, you're spending time yeah. with them, right? And I, I hate myself for that because, I mean, you know, my boys are nine years old now and there's how many years did I miss uh, of just time right there, right? But one of the things that I kind of envision maybe at some point being able to do is – Let's say that we were able to bank, you know, several thousand dollars over the course of years, you know, doing this. What if there was a 20 acre spot somewhere that was, was good herping? Okay. Mm-hmm. And CCR purchased that 20 acres and then got volunteers to go out and put boards and tin yeah. all over this place. You know, and make it a a spot that somehow it would have to be regulated, obviously, but where herpers were invited to come herp, to be able to come (laughs) field herp. You can't take anything. You put everything back just like you found it. But where, I mean, you know, that's so that 20 acres, every animal on that 20 acres is safe forever. Yeah. You know, but it's a place where, and maybe there's multiple spots around the country like that, that, mm-hmm. you know, CCR has, has gotten where you can take the kids and go field herping. You can go with your buddies, you know, on a weekend and be able to go do this where, cause uh, you know, we all know like right now, how many people want to share their spots, right? Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody wants to tell you where to find them because they don't want you taking them. But if it's, mm-hmm. if it's monitored, if it's regulated, if it's, you know, that kind of thing. I want to give people that experience because it's an experience I, like I said throughout the show, I've missed so much of. I've not got to do nearly yeah. enough of. And half the time it's because you don't even know where to go do it, where you can. 
So yeah. I just that that's one of the pieces. Other than you that's know, again, cool. donating to, to to different things to get you know get true conservation taken. Uh, so programs, obviously, I just feel like that's even if there's not an endangered animal there. Oh heck yeah! Knowing you know what, anything that does live there is safe there from now on because we've now done this. No, that's pretty wicked. So I like that. that that's just kind of you know. Yep. That'd be a very, very long-term goal, but if it's something we're able to achieve one day, that would make me incredibly no. proud and incredibly happy. Well, those areas around you with all the that swamp land and everything, mm-hmm. that's – yeah, I like my swamps. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. You know, no, places cool. in, in you know, Texas, mm-hmm. places in you – know, there's all – every area of the country has some area that you know could be herped and, and – you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to say transformed, but, you know, you could put the things out there that help you find them, you know. Oh, hell yeah. So I, I just no. think that that would be such a neat thing. That would be to, really, to really have. cool. You know, so it's you you have like we have Snake Road, but that's not the same thing. You, you know what I mean? It's, yep. it's mm-hmm. So, so no. just kind of something that's been in the head, I guess. That would be wicked. When I get quiet, that's when I start thinking. Because, <laughs> I mean, you, 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 you plan events. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You plan gatherings out there and, you know, different times of the year. If there's different places throughout the country that mm-hmm. these exist. I mean, and, and honestly, I think that if this got if this got enough traction, I I would be willing to bet there's even landowners out there. That would donate because we're talking, you know, we're not asking for hundreds of acres. It's, you know, five acres here, 10 acres, there, th- that kind of yeah. thing. And I, I guarantee there are people who would want to get behind this as well and yeah. support this kind of idea. So, well, the, the other thing that you can do is you find like an already existing chunk of land with somebody with the right mindset. And then we you offer up to buy a chunk of adjacent land that then makes that chunk bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's the other way to go about that. And yeah. people do that kind of stuff all the time. Yeah. Well, damn, that's a lofty goal. I guess we'll have to do that in the next five years. <laughs> Better <laughs> yeah. get on this Patreon, yeah. huh? Better get on. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> At the very least, Colubrid Fest, I think, is 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 something well within the realm of possibility. Oh, absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah. That's our, our baby step to the bigger one, I guess. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, that was, yeah, we're at two hours and five minutes on the recording, and we thought we were going to go for 90. So there you go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we want to wrap this up. Are we good? Let's let's do it, buddy. I think this was fun, man. Yeah, this was fun. Uh, I actually needed this because I had a really long, heady day. So this was pretty cool. Um, All right. Well, uh, if you need to find me, uh, I'm at... Zach Loafman on Facebook, Dr. Crawdad on Instagram, and then you can email me at zlofman at westliberty.edu. I don't know if I've said it much in the last couple of episodes, but it's kind of a standing invitation. Um, if you're at all interested in doing herpetoculture in grad school, email me, please. Uh, if you are listening to this and you're in high school and you're looking for a college degree and you want to work with uh, snakes, you got to hear a little bit about what my students do in this episode and what I do. So uh, by all means, hit me up as well. Uh, we can always set up a tour for grad students or undergraduates. Um, so that's me. Where can people find you, Clint? Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Clint Bartley. Um, you can also reach out at Metazotics. 
uh, on Facebook, on Instagram, it's Metazotics LLC. You can always email me as well, metazotics at gmail.com. All righty. I'd like to thank Morelia Python Network for having us as part of their family. Uh, we're proud members of that family. And uh, whatever time of day, night, morning, afternoon, whatever time it is, I hope you're having a good one. See ya. See ya.